You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Well, welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here of the Axis, and this is our, our annual official uh, Vision Sunday, and it's always the third Sunday of, of each year, third Sunday of the January. Uh, next week, we're going to jump into uh, back into James. Uh, we've been working our way through James for 10 weeks, I believe. Uh, before we stop for Advent. And so we're going to be picking up, if you want to kind of read ahead for next Sunday, in chapter 4 and verse 1, moving onward. Uh, that's, that's next week. Um, well, January 17th, 2021. Um, so much has happened since last year's Vision Sunday in 2020. The events over the past 12 months have changed us. I know that me personally, they've deeply affected me. They've, they've deeply changed, changed me. Uh, and by the way, the, the staff and the deacons and the elders of the Axis have done a phenomenal job this past year. They have been faithful and cautious, which for 2020, I assure you, is a lot easier said than done. And it is so easy to armchair quarterback um, from the outside, looking in on church leadership these days. Uh, but it's really hard when you're on the front lines making these decisions. Um, and they've done a fantastic job. So thank you, church leadership. Um, thank you so much. Uh, 2020 was the most problematic and divisive, um, uniquely complex and heart-wrenching uh, year of my 25 years of pastoral ministry. Uh, Jill, my bride, and I have both wondered here lately, uh, asking of each of us, uh, was, was 2020 the worst year of my life? or the best year of my life. 2020 was the, the hardest, most difficult, most traumatic year of my life, personally, um, by far. But it was the best year of my life. Last Sunday marked one year of the passing of my beloved hero, my papa. Um, and then shortly thereafter, a, a year ago, was uh, the, the death, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and many others in the helicopter. Um, in Calabasas, California. And then the tornadoes that, that ripped through our region here in Middle Tennessee. Um, and then, of course, the pandemic through the midst of all of this and the racial tension revolving the, uh, the death of George Floyd specifically and, and the politics that, that have been around that and as well as the election. And then on Christmas morning, waking up to the news of the suicide bomber. We were actually leaving town early that morning. We saw the smoke. We're like, what is that? I took pictures. I was like, something is burning that's not supposed to be burning. Um, and then, of course, the isolation o- over the last 12 months and the, the different strategies and how to handle all of these things. Um, just a lot of mental anguish, right? A lot, like all this has taken a, a deep emotional toll on all of us. On all of us it has. Personally, I, I became very weary, and, uh, you know, it's easy to be misunderstood. Uh, any leader in 2020 of any group of people experienced that weariness of being misunderstood um, is what it is. But trying to remain hopeful um, as you try to lead people, uh, that was difficult. Uh, 2020 proved what we could uh, live without, uh, and 2020, it really showed us what we have to have. It broke us down to uh, our bare necessities in a lot of ways, didn't it? 
I mean, even thinking of the, one of the most coveted items of 2020 is toilet paper. That's when you know you're pretty much down to your bare necessities of what you need. And a lot of us gave up a lot of things. A lot of us put a lot of things on hold, indefinitely suspended, this, that, and the other. 2020 proved that there's really nothing uh, that we can have for certain. Anything can change. Anything can change at any given point. 2020 uh, proved to us that there's nothing we can build our lives upon that's as sure as Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus mentioned this 2,000 years ago. He was having a conversation with his disciples and some others, and, and he, he said something to that effect. He said, every one of those who hears my words, my teaching, and does them, so this, you know, hear and obeys, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came. He, not maybe. He said, the rain did fall. It's going to. The storm's going to come. It's not if, it's when. It's not if trials come, it's when trials come. It's not if the storm's going to come, it's when the trial and the storm comes. He said, when the, the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house that was there upon the rock, and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, it's like a foolish man who built his house on subjective, fickle sand. Same storm came, the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it was different because it fell. And great was the fall of it. We must build upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Our lives, our church, our identity, our hope, and our future on the rock of Christ. 2020 washed away a lot of things. The storm of 2020 washed away a lot of things that we place our hope and our identity and our assurance on. And those things fell. They washed away. And what was left? What was left for you in 2020? What was left standing? We all ran somewhere. We all ran somewhere to find identity and meaning. Where did you run? Did you, did you find yourself running to that rock of Christ? Or did you run to how you were handling the pan pandemic? How you were handling politics? How you were handling race? Where did you find your identity through all of these storms? And are you okay with that? Is God, what does God say about it? Is he okay with that, where you ran? Well, looking back and still staring so much struggle in the face, I see 2020 as a valley and a workout room, right? Like a, a valley is difficult, right? There's thorns, briars. It's, it's you know, it's, it's scary sometimes, but the valley is where there's water often. The, the valley is where there's berries and, and fruits, nutrients, right? In order for you to have so that as you ascend the mountain, you have what you need to actually be able to experience that mountaintop view and the mountaintop beauty, the refreshment of just looking out across a vast, beautiful, majestic view. And in the same way, a weight room is difficult. It's where you exhaust yourself. You push yourself in order... To gain, to gain strength, right? In order to gain endurance. You exhaust yourself in the weight room for vitality. You know, the thing I did, I ran four miles this morning on the treadmill, probably, depending on how this morning goes, probably the most intense physical exertion that I'll do today, right? But it's the single thing that I did that's going to affect my health more than anything else I'm going to do today, right? Even though it was the most, it's the most helpful thing. In the similar way, 
2020 was the weight room and the valley. And I know that we're going to see strength come from the struggle of what we've experienced these last 12 months. I've got so much hope that this is true. Things are going to get better. Things aren't always going to be this way. Don't despair. Don't lose hope. And hope in the one who's in control of all things, right? Hope in the one who knows all things, speaking of Jesus. Well, last year I began Vision Sunday. I started out, not even an intro, I started out just with a, with a quote. Last Vision Sunday. And I, know, I didn't know how powerfully appropriate it was going to be as we played out last year. But I started, it's like this, from my favorite pastor preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, think about this. Illness, accident, disappointment, financial loss, trouble in business, serious illness of a child or loved one close to us. These things are the things that come to test us all, and we cannot avoid them. We all want to make our plans for, uh, for life and living, but when we think we have made our perfect plans, something happens. And our whole world begins to shake and to quake. It's 2020. In the words of Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until he gets punched in the mouth. That was 2020. What are you going to do when your faith gets punched in the mouth? When your life and your joy are gone? Like I told you a year ago, this kind of stuff happens. Your faith gets punched in the mouth. Your world gets turned upside down. What are you going to do when the long, cold, dark winter of your soul comes upon your faith in your life? What are you going to do? What have you done over these last 11 months? What have you done over these last 11 months as you've experienced a long, dark, cold winter of the soul? Well, for me and many others, I know many pastors, uh, 2020 took away our what and our how as, as a church, as a ministry staff. Most conferences I went to you know, over my last 25 years had to do with what churches are doing, how churches are doing them, right, and learn how to do these things and add what's to your church, okay? Well, 2020 took that away. It made it completely irrelevant, not just conferences, but the what and the how of church ministry. And I was left pondering the why. When my family and I moved here to plant the axis, all we had was 200 bucks and a why. And since then, we've added what and how to a lot of our church. And I'm grateful for this, but we must never forget our why. We've been doing wonderful things with our what and how over the years, but along the way, it's very easy to lose our why. And the same is true in your relationships and in your jobs and your dreams and your marriages. You get caught up in a lot of the details of the what and the how that you forget the why of your marriage. You forget the why of why you're even together in relationship, why you're even trying to fulfill that dream and ambition. It's easy to get caught up in the what and the how. You see, how uh, and, and, and what often engages the mind a little bit and activates the hands some, but why impacts our hearts. Kingdoms have been created and destroyed over a why. Jesus spoke to the, the motive and the why in the book of Revelation in chapter 2 as he was writing letters to different churches. He wrote one to the church in Ephesus, and he says, I know your works. Think about how wonderful this is. Imagine if Jesus wrote us a letter, and it sounded this wonderful. This is superb, right? This is awesome. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, 
I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are patiently enduring and bearing up for my namesake, and you've not grown weary. That's pretty good. But I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Some translations say you've lost your first love. What that's getting at, what it means in the Greek is you've lost and drifted from the original motive for why you were doing all these good things to begin with. You've lost your why. Here's what Jesus says. Remember, therefore, where you've come and repent and do the works that you did at first. Like, get back at it. You're crushing it. But don't just continue doing without understanding why you're doing it. Return to that place and continue doing the things that you're doing. 2020 has gotten my heart personally back to the why of why we moved here 12 years ago. And I'm so, so happy about this. Eleven and a half years ago, the Rose family of five at the time, before Elsie Grace was even born, we moved from Charlotte, North Carolina to Nashville, Tennessee by faith and in obedience to a very clear and obvious call to start a new church in the very heart of Music City, as close to downtown as possible, because God got a hold of our hearts, and he made me a Christian. Even after 14 years of being a pastor, I became a Christian, and he planted deep into my heart the hope that changes everything. He planted it deep into our hearts and our minds and our souls, and we just wanted to share it. And we wanted to share it with anyone and everyone, but especially those who were often overlooked, ignored, and misunderstood. You see, in a lot of the traditional church models around today, no one knows much to do with the creatives. And we came to Nashville because Nashville is sort of a a home hub for for a lot of creativity, right? In music and film and, and art, any of the arts. And so we came here because most traditional churches don't know what to do with the hip, cool, trendy, artistic, herbal green, tattooed, pierced, punk, post-postmodern, urbanite city dwellers of our culture, right? I have that memorized. I said it a lot 12 years ago because it had everything to do with our why. It's why are you going to Nashville? Because this group of people is misunderstood. This group of people is judged before they even get through the church doors. And we knew what to do with them. The Lord placed a burden for this particular demographic on our hearts. We needed to love them and tell them of the hope that changes everything. And we're called to do just that. They needed to know that that they've got a place to belong inside the Christian church. And not only them, but the town drunks and the city's prostitutes and our precious homeless. the, The marginalized, the underserved, and the overlooked. The axis was planted to love and know these people. Without us just feeling good about it, right? But knowing these people, developing relationship with these people. The Axis Church was founded upon a very clear and aggressive call to serve these types of people. To tell these precious ones about the hope that changes everything. And we're here for you. And we're returning to our why. Why Axis? In many ways, it's because I personally, being a pastor's kid and involved in church ministry, 
um, for nearly three decades, it's because I've seen over the years the soul damage done to so many who were simply curious about Jesus, curious about the church, and they would ask questions to people within the church, or they would push back and be like, I don't know, that doesn't sound right. They'd admit maybe their struggle. They'd admit their disbelief. They couldn't look clean enough and get their act together fast enough. There was a minimum speed requirement for change in someone's life, and they couldn't keep up. And so when they couldn't keep up, when they asked these questions, they were ostracized by the leadership of the church or the people of the church. They would ask questions. They got pushed aside. They didn't do church right. They got pushed aside. They didn't know the right words. They got pushed aside. They didn't do politics right. They were pushed aside. So much was focused on where things were different instead of uniting around the things that were the same. And this is why here at the Axis, we focus heavily on only a few things. We don't sweat the small stuff, and there's loads of small stuff, and it's okay. We don't have to agree over everything, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Axis Church was planted in the very heart of Music City because Nashville is a mecca for these creatives, as well as the marginalized in society. The Axis Church was planted in the very heart of Music City because it's still far too easy to get to hell from Nashville, Tennessee. And it's still far too easy to hide in churches in the buckle of the Bible belt in Nashville while politely and nicely going to hell. We planted the Axis Church and moved to Nashville because it's a major culture-producing hub in the southeast. And I see it this way. If we can make a kingdom impact in the city of Nashville, where the gospel is relevant and Jesus is unignorable, then it can help shape American culture. And if we can help shape American culture, we can help shape the world. So why did Axis begin? In a large reason, because people are desperate to believe and have hope. And they know a lot of false hopes. They know a lot of disappointment. You don't have to talk to many people in Nashville who have experienced deep disappointment, who moved here for, for reasons, telling their family and friends and fans back home in Smallville, wherever in America, moved here on a dream to make something of themselves and they realized how hard it was in med school, how hard it was on the stage, how hard it was with music, how hard it was in the arts. And they're having a struggle with the disappointment of just being normal, uh, of just adapting and having to just get a nine to five. They feel like they've sold out to their dream. Of course they're experiencing disappointment. But we're here to tell them of something that will not disappoint, that God redeems such stories, that their life still has purpose and meaning, that they can understand the hope that changes everything. So the Axis Church was planted so, so that we could do our job to get the word out of this hope. We didn't move here to be comfortable, clean, or white. We didn't move here for life to be easy or safe. And we'll, by faith and by grace, continue to give and serve until we die at an old age and be buried in Nashville, Tennessee, exhausted but fulfilled. We moved here to give ourselves, of ourselves, to live open and outward lives for others so that they could hear about and be transformed by the hope that changes everything that they would know and believe Jesus Christ and be saved from their hell and forgiven of their sins, saved to a relationship with God. And over the past several months, God has placed this uh, burning in my heart to the motive and these original whys of the axis, his calling upon our lives, his calling upon my life, his calling upon yours as you're part of this church family. So we've got to be diligent, family, 
We've got to be diligent in pursuing obedience with our mission of why we're here in this city to begin with. We are on the mission of Jesus in Nashville, Tennessee together. We can't do this apart. We must do it together. And the Axis Church has got to be known for loving Jesus and loving Nashville and all of Middle Tennessee, telling anyone and everyone about the hope that changes everything. When people think Axis, I want them to think, man, they love Jesus and they love the city. And they always talk about Jesus. That's it. Not, oh, that's this church politically, or that's this church politically, or this is how they handled this, or how they handled that. Not the small stuff. Not those things. But that's a church that loves this city and that loves Jesus. All they talk about. We need new and fresh stories to tell. I've reviewed a lot of pictures on my phone going back in Facebook memories over the last 12 years. And I've seen so many faces and pictures and stories. I want new stories to tell. I want our church to have new stories to tell. Like of Darius, Jordan Hyman's close friend that became a Christian this week because he was loving Jesus and telling his buddy about Jesus. And he became a Christian right in front of his eyes. I want more stories like this. I want you to tell these stories. I want this to be true for you because you're loving Jesus and telling others about Jesus. We've got to become more serious about this outward call to be on mission. It's why we're here. It's why it is the reason you are alive. The reason that, Christian, that you're not with Jesus right now is because you have a work to do. You are a missionary, and so you're to be telling others about Jesus. It's not for you to be comfortable, earn a living, retire rich, and just get a yacht somewhere and just kind of chill out, right? That's not what your life is for. You are alive today to do what you have to do to earn a living in order to provide you a living so that you can open your mouth and talk to people about Jesus. That's, that's, that's it. Everything else is details. That's the big idea. So all of this has been recently and graciously re-revealed to, to my heart and my mind over these last four months. And much of this involves training others and sending some out in order for them to continue taking the gospel into other contexts and, and letting it play out in other ways. And so getting right to work this year, we're going to be starting and partnering with two new churches, one for the neighborhood and one for the nations. One is going to be partnering with Ryan and Rebecca Stanley as they plant in Iceland, if y'all can come up here real quick. And then the other is partnering with Pastor Brooks and Laura as they plant Pilgrim Hill Reformed Fellowship. So as a part of today's Sunday, I've asked them to come and let us in on what the Lord's doing here, and then I want to pray for them. So this is Ryan and Rebecca Stanley. <laughs> yes, that's who we are. <laughs> yes, I'm Ryan Stanley. This is Becca Stanley. We also have a 10-month-old Wren at home, and um, we've been here for about five years, and we have really loved worshiping with you guys and we've loved serving you guys it's been one of the highest honors of what my life has been serving you guys the Exodus church mm-hmm. and we've done that many ways we have served as deacons here we've been on the kids ministry we do music i'm a graduate of the pastoral leadership collective and we have led an ac and through those five years the gospel of jesus christ and the ministries of the Exodus church have really become the lifeblood of our family. And we have come to adopt Jeremy's kind of catchphrase, but more than catchphrase, um, life's mantra that we want it to be incredibly difficult to get to hell from Nashville. Mm. And as that was on our heart, we caught wind of a place where it is currently incredibly easy 
to get to hell. And as I am saying this right now, there is 98% of the entire population of the country of Iceland is on a trajectory right to hell. Mm. As you might imagine, maybe as you're feeling now, that gave us quite the burden when we learned this. And so quickly we were like, how can we make it more difficult? And so we began pressing into Proverb 11, verse 14, that says there is safety in a multitude of counselors. And we began inviting in pastors, elders, friends, missionaries, family to just help us pray for us, give us counsel, and help us discern how we could help it be more difficult to get to hell from Iceland. What we've landed on months and months of discernment is we're going to relocate our family to Iceland to be a part of a church plant called Redeemer City in the capital city of Reykjavik, Iceland. What that's going to look like for us, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of like structured, organized ministry opportunities, and we're going to be doing music at the church, and there's going to be plenty of ways for that. But the big idea, we have a plan A, we have a plan B, and we have a plan C to get there. And the big idea for all those plans is to know, love, and obey Jesus and to help others do the same and to make it incredibly, incredibly difficult to get to hell from Iceland. We have been praying and invite you to pray for us that there's 2% of an entire country that is Christian right now. And we've been praying for God to transform that and work mightily to transform that from 2% to at least 92%, quick, mm. fast, and in a hurry. Yeah. And we're very humbled to play a part in that. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Becca. Wonderful. And then, Brooks and Laura, if you come share what the Lord's doing in y'all's heart. Yeah. Well, that's first, that's just amazing to hear. Laura and I went to Iceland on our honeymoon, and then they went to Iceland. And every couple of months, we'd like drop a text in Iceland picture. Like, don't you miss it? Don't you miss it? And then uh, here it is. Amazing, amazing. So I have been in Tennessee for about three years. And if you're acquainted with our story at all, um, you'll know it's been a, a wild providence of God's grace that got me here. Our daughter's name is Providence, one of our daughters. And that's for a reason. So we'd have a standing Ebenezer that we would never forget how undeniable God's providence was even in getting me caught up in the story here. When I came to Tennessee, it was to see about a girl um, only, primarily, first. That was the only yes. I didn't have an open door for ministry. I was a pastor in Pasadena for three years. I am, um, And in God's grace, he opened a door for ministry at the Axis here for the last... I don't know, two and a half years or so I've been on staff, um, and it's been one of the great honors of my life. Um, I think you guys do know, um, but it's worth restating that you have one of the most incredible pastors there are. Um, pastor Jeremy is not just a pastor to you guys, but he is a pastor to pastors in our city. There are many men, and then through them, congregations that have drawn water from this man. And so it's been a high, high honor to be by his side I know there, there's a hundred other pastors who would just cherish having the chair that I've had. And so this has been an amazing season to learn from him, to be by his side. Well, the Lord's been stirring in me for the past, I don't know, year or two to perhaps that on the horizon may be a call to plant a church. I'm not interested in just planting without an absolute clear call. Church planting is hard. Um, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Well, over 2020, uh, the Lord has just made it very clear um, that it's time. It's time. We, are, we have land in Goodlitzville. Um, that is where our 
children go to school, um, this is going to be our place, Goodlesville, Tennessee, unless the Lord calls us somewhere else, but we have no exit strategy. And something we wanna do is give our children not just a faith, but a place, and to say, as long as we're here, we're pouring water into Goodlesville. I'm kind of wired more for a parish model of ministry anyways, which means you're kind of a pastor of a specific corner of the kingdom. And so Goodlesville and around there will be our corner of the kingdom, as it were. Um, the scripture that the Lord gave me to kind of undergird all of this, it's from Isaiah 61. And this is the wonderful, soaring, messianic prophecy that the Lord Jesus applies to himself in Luke 4. And it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the gospel. And that's what we do at the Axis. We proclaim the gospel. And that's what we'll do in Goodlettsville. We'll proclaim the gospel. And it talks about the impact that that will have. And then in Isaiah 61, 3, the back half of it, it says what happens to the covenant community of God as the gospel is proclaimed. And it says that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified through them. And so that's what we want to do. We want to plant oaks of righteousness in Goodlettsville. It takes 20 years to get one acorn, 50 years to reach maturity. So we have a long way to go um, for oaks to do that, the tree itself. Um, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. Where we're at, um, there's going to be a, obviously a transition. More information will be rolled out as far as my role here and all of that. But for now, that's what's before us in the coming days. So. Awesome, man. Thank you, Brooks. Thank you, Laura. Well, let's, um, let me ask you to do this. If you don't mind, let's stand real quick and just extend your hand uh, towards them as, as just uh, touching them and praying over them now. Father, uh, Lord, I thank you so much for the work that you've done in making these four people Christians. Um, Lord, I pray that you would do the same in every single one of the hearts of their children. Um, Lord, I pray, Lord, for the mission and vision that you've placed in their hearts, in their bones, that, that they would be obedient to do it, and that you would provide everything necessary, that you would open banks of money to make money, not even a, just a non-issue, which is a lot, asking for Iceland to get there. Uh, but Lord, we, they need you to give. Lord, people a burden to help fund these ministries. They, they have to have this, and I know that you can do it. And you can give them prayer support. You can give them protection. You can give them, um, Lord, um, people to partner with them. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you do that, that you do all things to make it incredibly easy for them to make it difficult to get to hell, Lord, from their area. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask these things, expecting you to help us with these things. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Um, thank you, Pottigers and Stanleys. Um, you're going to be hearing much more about both of these ministries in the near future, ways to partner and pray and support and encourage. Um, immediately be praying for this. The Stanleys need funding and provision. Um, it's very expensive to do what they're doing, and they're selling off everything, and like they're, they're totally going all in, okay? Um, and so if you want to help with that, you can reach out to them. Um, we're going to have information on the table shortly as we're trying to get some of this stuff printed up. But uh, if you want to send him an email for more info, you can do it at Ryan, R-Y-A-N, Ryan at thestanleysaga.com, thestanleysaga.com. Um, and then for Brooks, be praying for a facility. And if you need more information, talk to them. His email is on the back of the bulletin, brooks at the Access Church.
org. There's an info meal at their home, 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, next Sunday and the Sunday following, the 24th and the 31st. And the Access community that was meeting in their home is now meeting in our home beginning uh, next Sunday at 4.30. You can talk to Jill or myself for more details about that. We've helped Shane England uh, plant a church in Madison. Uh, we've helped Nate Wood plant a church in North Long Beach, uh, California. We've helped Joshua Young in Clarksville, Tennessee. And now we're going to be helping these two families. Uh, this is part of our mission. It's part of our calling is recruiting, training, praying for, and sending supporting new works like these. And of course, this brings about uh, transitions um, and new staff hires here at the Axis. And, and so I do ask that you please be praying for us as we uh, faithfully plow forward in this um, and finding the right fits for these positions. Now, continuing in our outward uh, thinking and dreaming of the future, right, is our facility uh, must meet the needs of our increased obedience and our outward call in order for us to be an asset to our city and our church family and our region. So improvements and expansion of our facility needs to be taking place. We've got an acre of land here, which includes the gravel parking lot that's south of our building. We've got an acre here, and, uh, and our facility needs to help meet the needs of the mission of our church uh, here in our city. We've got to develop and train, equip, and send hundreds of people out to accomplish our calling. And it's difficult, it's hard, um, but it's our calling. Uh, we're going to be developing and equipping uh, those who are two years old or younger all the way to those who are 102 years old and older, knowing that no matter how old you are or how young you are, so long as you're here, we believe that you have a divine purpose in life to accomplish and fulfill. And it's our job, the way that we see it, it's our job uh, to help you prepare for it. So in light of this, our dream future facility and expansion is a multi-floor um, building that's here on our one acre of property. We're not leaving downtown Nashville. We're not leaving 1423 2nd Avenue North. The dreams of this facility, though, include a recording studio uh, so our musicians can dream up, write, and produce music here, a podcast studio, a counseling center for our city, knowing that most counseling centers have to go to the suburbs because of how expensive offices are, counseling centers are in the city. You know, you know that. Um, and so we want to have where there's more people, which is the density of the city, we want to have a counseling center that's drivable a lot faster to so many people in our city, offering the many counselors that we have here in our church uh, free space to office out of and, and, and allow your influence and your study and your soul care to, to be able to benefit so many others. Uh, we hope to have a kid's playground and recreational area. Um, I would love to see that happen very, very soon. Um, I like slides. Um, and many uh, family ministry opportunities that would come from that. Uh, maybe even a better suited auditorium as a part of this and more office space uh, for the city to utilize during the week. Every, every day during the week, our, our building is occupied by, by dozens of other people uh, that they office out of here. Uh, we, we love that and we want to see that continue. Uh, we need to have a church planner training center. Um, and a part of that uh, new facility, Lord willing, will have a residential suite to it uh, so that it, we have a church planner in residence staying for free as a part of their compensation with us as they're here getting trained. They and their family can live in downtown Nashville for free. And then, of course, building out more educational rooms, sort of redeeming and bringing back the Sunday morning Bible study cadence. Uh, I would love to see a computer lab 
uh, for equipping and training our homeless and our underserved in our community, a sandwich shop and a coffee shop to help the homeless and the needy uh, build their resume, learning um, work ethic, uh, and a rooftop putt-putt course, of, of course, um, and a batting cage and a basketball court on the roof. Um, now, I'm not sure if the counseling center will happen, but of course this other stuff will. Um, just kidding. I'm not sure if all the bat and cage stuff. That would be awesome. Why not? Um, sure. Uh, but I'm not sure if this all will happen, but I'm dreaming it. And I don't want anyone to dream bigger than we do here at the Axis, right? Like, I don't want anyone to dream bigger dreams for what God could do here at 1423 than me. So if you have a bigger dream, I want you to tell me so I can one-up it, because I always want a bigger dream. And you need to be that way too. You, you, Christian, you are to be the biggest dreamer on your street in your city. No one should have more hope than you do. Nobody. You need to out-hope and out-dream everybody. You've got every reason to, right? You've got every reason. Have hope. Be hopeful. Dream. Have ambition, right? Let's do this together. Let's encourage one another in these ways. Don't just exist. Don't exist. You're living. Take advantage of it and thrive. Don't just exist. Believe in the hope that changes everything and let it change you. Experience true hope. Well, as we clarify and take action on our calling here in the city, uh, I'm starting PAC, which is Partnership of Associated Churches. You've heard me say it before, probably, but I don't want to hear of another pastor taking his life. I'm tired of pastor's funerals. My first one is when my dad's best friend, a pastor, took his life when I was nine years old, standing beside a casket, wondering why Larry took his life. It made no sense to me. And it still doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't need to be this way. This past year, my friend Darren Patrick took his life. Many pastors do this because of the emotional toll and the heartache that it is to be a pastor. It's very difficult. But I'm called to do something about this. I love other pastors. And so PAC, Partnership of Associated Churches, which won't be denominationally affiliated, leaving room for people to kind of find home in other theological categories, but, but we want to help them uh, by encouraging them. Uh, PAC is going to exist to encourage and equip these pastors and church planners and future church leaders by sharing resources with them to make it easier, uh, by, by allowing them to have fun, friendship, and camaraderie. We want to help them by focusing on mental health, emotional health, which is so overlooked. You know, we just want to know how many people are in your church. We don't care how you're feeling. We don't care how you're doing. Just produce for us, right? They need help with these things. We want to share resources and creative thinking and missional engagement. Uh, part of our pastoral leadership collective uh, for our elder development here at the Axis will be opened up for them to send other men to to be trained so that we can do that heavy lifting and training and then send them back to their churches as they've been developed by us here. And I want to minister to their families. I want to minister to their wives. I want to minister to their kids. As a pastor's kid, grandson, my great-grandfather was a pastor, planter. Uh, I have PKs in my home, obviously. I want to minister to the children of these pastors and church planters. I want my kids to talk about how jacked up their dad is over certain things. I want them to have group therapy together, right, of just how hard it is to be in a pastor's home. <laughs> PKs, am, am I right? <laughs> um, but be praying over this, all of this, and dream with us what could be here at 1423. But regardless of how big our dreams are here or how deep our pain may go as we move forward, 
We can't move forward without looking inward and addressing the worship of our heart, the idolatry of our heart, and the repentance needed. We can't move forward without looking inward and looking crossward. We've got to keep our eyes on the cross. That is where our identity and our meaning come from, and that is where we are transformed by grace. The essential task that we have before us as we move onward is keeping our gaze of our eyes, our mind, and our hearts, and our emotions fixed, gazing crossward, not adding a swagger to our posture. As we perhaps gain bigger influence and our facility changes and we begin to become uh, more creative and producing more music or whatever the, the future holds for us, let's not think of ourselves as a big deal. The Bible is full of people who walked with God, drifted to their own creativity and goodness, and were outside of his will and experienced the cursing of success. But let's stay humble, bent over, not with a swagger and a strut, but let's be known for being people bent over in humility, bowed down before the Lord, getting low. We've got to get to the cross. We're going to look elsewhere. Our, we will easily always look elsewhere. We're going to naturally run elsewhere. And so we've got to fight the drift by fixing our eyes intentionally upon the cross, early, often, and always. No matter what you may face in your life or your circumstances this year, regardless of if 2021 is harder than 2020, you're going to be able to make it so long as you get to the cross. No matter what we face as a church, sorrow or joy, we can make it by the grace of God as we get to the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is the, the, the brightest place in all of creation. It's where all things are seen, all things are known, nothing can be hidden, and it's where we learn the truth. The cross tells us that we're sinful, deeply sinful, but it also tells us that Jesus became our sin. The cross tells us that our sin must be punished, and it's a big deal, but it also tells us that Jesus received our punishment for us. The cross tells us that we need God, but it also tells us that through faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven and reconciled back into a relationship and friendship with God. In the eyes of God, by faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven. We can be justified. We can be viewed as righteous and as good as Jesus is. We can be received and loved like Jesus is. The throne of judgment that we once feared is transformed now because of the cross to be a throne of grace that we boldly enter into, Scripture tells us, in our time of need, when we're fumbling, when we're messed up, when we don't have it together. You don't go to the throne of grace when everything's perfect. You can but what's beautiful is that we feel disqualified from going to the throne of grace when we've got issues. But the scripture tells us that in our time of need, when we've got such deep issues, such deep wounds, fumbling all over the place, such a catastrophic mess up, that we go to the throne of grace in those moments. Those moments don't disqualify us. The cross tells us that the worst of all things can be transformed to the best of all things. The greatest of all things the death of God, right? The, the worst of all things, the death of God, comes some of the greatest of all things, the resurrection of God and our incorporation back into the family of God. The cross does this. The, tr the cross changes things. Let's get to the cross in this way. When tragedy hits, when our faith is weakened, get to the cross. It's there that you can hear God declare over you that you're enough. It's there that you know that you're perfectly loved. 
that you're cherished, that you're the apple of his eye, that you're his bride. It's there that you're reminded it's not your track record. It's the record of Christ. And your value is secure. It's based on Jesus and his work. And your identity is declared over you, righteous and mine. At the cross, you discover peace. You discover renewal, pure love, and hope. And along the way to the cross every day, you've got to get low. We've got to get low, family. We must be a humble people. We've got to fight the spirit of rage and entitlement that's so prevalent in our society, of being right and then hating everybody else and seeing them as wrong. Pride is so divisive. Pride is like the oxygen of our time. It's consumed by everybody. It's how we live. It's our society. And the water, hydration of our time, is hating whoever doesn't agree with us, silencing them, canceling them. We see this in other people, but rarely do we see it in ourselves. We rarely notice it in others because it's so normal for us. It's automated. It's habit. Church, who knows what this week is going to hold? Don't hate. Don't hate. Our God is not hate. Our God is love. And you'll be known by your love for one another, not your hate for others. Don't fight to get even. Get to the cross. Don't chirp. I'm asking you as your pastor, don't post divisive content on social media. And don't make social media platform your group therapy session. Don't be proud. Pray for humility. Don't be so quick to lose it. Be self-controlled. Your hope isn't in the things of this world, remember? Get to the cross. Don't get even. And get low. Don't get proud. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 17. He says, honor everyone. Everyone. Honor everyone. Not just when they're around. Not just when you know there's somebody who might think differently. And so you're going to hold back for this time. Honor everyone regardless of who's around. Honor everyone. And then he says, love the brotherhood. Deeply love Christians. He says, to fear God. And then he says, of the one who is responsible for the martyrdom of two million early church Christians. He says, honor the emperor. It's so much better to be quiet and take things to the Lord in prayer instead of rant, rage, and post ridiculous things. He says, have unity of mind in 1 Peter 3.8. Have sympathy, have brotherly love, and have a tender heart and a humble mind. You know why? Because he knows that we automatically drift. Our default setting is division of mind, and it's judgment, not sympathy, and it's brotherly judgment and hate, not love, and it's a hard heart towards others and not a tender heart, and it's a proud, strutting mind and not a humble mind. That's why he had to write. That's why scriptures are what they are to us. It tells us the way to go to fight the drift. We know where we're going to drift. 
And he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Without humility, you can't have unity. You can't have sympathy. You can't have love. You can't have a a tender heart. Without humility, you've got entitlement. You've got judgment. You've got jealousy. You've got envy. You've got pride. Without humility, you've got division, judgmental chirping, gossip, and a guarded spirit that's looking out for itself, first and foremost. It's not warm. It's not welcoming. It's not kind. It's not tender. Without humility, there's no honoring one another. There's no encouragement. There's no generosity. There's no believing and hoping for the best in somebody. And wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to give somebody the benefit of the doubt without always assuming the complete worst? This comes when there's humility. Without humility, there's no serving and, and, and being available for others. Without humility, we want all the eyes on us rather than our eyes looking out for others. Without humility, our hands are grabbing always for more for us rather than giving out to others what we have. Without humility, it's my way or the highway. Without humility, there's this arrogant swagger, this self-righteous strutting. And you know what's allergic to that sort of pride? Intimacy and friendship, vulnerability and camaraderie. And the Spirit of God himself, completely allergic to that kind of strutting. We've got to pursue humility. If you want to see renewal and revival personally in your life and in our world, in our city, in our country, we've got to get low before the Lord and one another. The door into relationship with God is a low door. You have to crawl on your belly. It's humbling. It's a humbling door. The door to renewal and happiness, joy, and contentment requires that you drop your proud look and gaze, and you get down and you begin to grovel on the ground as you slide underneath that doorway. The door to obedience is the same. It's very low. The door to the cross is very low. In order to be a healthy Christian, you've got to get used to getting low before the Lord and staying low before the Lord, knowing that you'll never drift there. We drift to strutting, having that swagger about ourselves, this personal parade every time we're around, just knowing people are dying to know our opinion. And we've got to fight the drift by pursuing humility, by getting low, being willing to crawl. The health of our church is directly tied to the health of our members, of our ministry partners. Your obedience in the word, your time in prayer, your obedience to God, your your personal mission to serve others, our, our, our personal faith and the hope that changes everything. If we're healthy individual Christians, our church will be a healthy Christian church. But the opposite is also true. We'll be unhealthy as a church if our members are unhealthy. We'll just be another moralistic, fear-inducing, comparison-driven, toxic group of religious people who will take a sacred text and leverage it for personal reasons, but who are not submitting to it and not allowing it to convict them and respond to that, not allowing it to produce a gospel response obedience that benefits others and themselves. Our church will be a welcoming church, though, if you are, a gracious church, if you are, a Bible-loving church, if you are, and it'll be a safe place to be real and vulnerable if you in particular are humble enough to become safe and trustworthy yourself, knowing how to emotionally work through things and, and be real and how to pray and not just try to recirculate all the things that you hear about through gossip and chirping, sharing secrets. It's not safe. Our church will have an active mission 
if you in particular are active in your mission. Our church will have a well-worn path to the cross if you know your well-worn path as well. When our faith is weakened, when we feel overly confident or under attack, we've got to get to the cross. This is what Nashville needs. This is why we were planted in this city to begin with. You remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are what? Few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is still plentiful, and the laborers are still few. And if you're active in this sort of stuff on mission, man, I thank God for your obedience. But for the rest of us, and I mean that, but for the rest of us, let's hear this and respond with a humble creativity. I'm asking you to step forward from your missional apathy and your spiritual indifference in order to begin living for something bigger. Nashville needs this. Nashville, our city, one of the greatest culture-producing cities in the southeast, needs this from you. The people of our city, they need a church that's going to exist for them and not simply just hide and stay tucked away in a little private, proud, sacred, scared bubble. Will the, will the Axis Church be a church that Nashville can count on to bring them hope, to bring them lasting satisfaction, the hope that changes everything by living out the gospel in front of them with humility, grace, and love? Nashville needs this. Nashville needs missionaries, hundreds of missionaries. Will you be one of those missionaries? Nashville needs selfless, others-minded, humble Christians who are going to serve them as under the Lord, even giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, giving them a hug, remembering their name, telling them about the hope that changes everything. Will you look beyond yourself, beyond your comfort, step out of your comfort zone and your risk-free living and your routines and begin taking risk for the sake of the gospel. Because after all, there's still a hell, and people are dying each day and going there. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask that you allow, Lord, this, this call to your cross and humility and mission, Lord, that it would be humbly received by the people of our church and its friends. Lord, that we would consider these things and that you would protect against any false narrative that this was spoken from anything except a hope for the gospel to begin transforming our city like never before. Lord, I pray that this was received in the way that I was able to receive it from you personally. And I pray that, Lord, you allow us to experience the fruit from, from us taking these things to heart and living in obedience Lord, to what you've called us to in Scripture, and even particularly here at the Axis. Lord, give us uh, creative minds. Give us camaraderie. Give us a vision for what can be, something more, something better. And Lord, something that makes a bigger kingdom impact here, making it more difficult for pastors to quit and making it more difficult for people to get to hell and more difficult for people to be lonely in Nashville. Lord, help us in these ways. Help us own this mission personally and not just the mission of our church. God, help us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You are listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.